You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. We are in the book of Jonah today, and the book of Jonah is a pretty familiar book. Uh, Many people know it, um, but I don't think most people know it because they read it all the time. I think a lot of people know it because it's a very popular kid's book or story kind of talked about in pop culture, or maybe you've seen the VeggieTales Jonah. Um, And so in the book of Jonah, there's kind of two main characters. There's Jonah, who's a prophet. He's um, the man of God. And then there's the Ninevites, the guys that he is supposed to go preach to. And the Ninevites, they were not men of God. They were bad people. In the, in the VeggieTales version, they're called the fish slappers. They slap people with fish. But in real life, they actually skinned people alive. So they were rough people. And they were enemies of Israel, where Jonah was from. And so the story of Jonah goes like this. God calls Jonah, hey, bring my message of good news and repentance to the Ninevites, your enemies. And Jonah goes, no thanks. And he runs the opposite way. He gets on a boat, he sails away. He's on the boat, God sends a great storm. He's eventually like, just toss me overboard. They toss, the sailors toss him overboard. They're a little confused, but the storm stops. They worship God and then Jonah sinks into the depths. And just when he's about to die and as he finally decides to repent, God rescues him by sending a big fish to swallow him. After three days in the belly of the fish, he gets spat out on shore and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches a very short to the point sermon and all of Nineveh repents. And that's where the story of Jonah is typically ended. But that's actually not how the book ends. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Jonah, we're gonna be in chapter four today. And it actually ends with a little bit more tension in that. Uh, and this is a little book of poems that I have, uh, short little poems that are about the book of Jonah. It's pretty, it's pretty on point. And I thought I would read one because I think this is how often the book Story of Jonah strikes us. I was so obsessed with what was going on inside the whale that I missed seeing the drama inside Jonah. Because today we're going to be looking at chapter four, and chapter four changes the whole story. Because when you read one through three, it's kind of like a good Hollywood movie, right? There's conflict, there's tension, everybody's resolution, everybody wins. Yay, right? But actually, when you read chapter four, you realize Jonah doesn't change. Like the Ninevites might be saved, the sailors might be saved, but Jonah doesn't change. His heart is still hard. And what we're going to see here is that God sent Jonah to receive lots of things from him, and that you and me, God sends us so that we can receive things from him, but we often miss it. Have you ever felt like you're the wrong person for the job? I know I have at times. Jonah kind of feels like the wrong guy. Don't you think there was somebody else in Israel who would have obeyed God, or somebody else, like a man or a woman who just would have gone and just preached and been excited that people would know God, but not Jonah? So it's interesting. Why do you think he chose Jonah? And I want you to ask that question Uh, Does anybody here watch the TV show Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's pretty popular. For those who don't know, the premise of Ted Lasso is all about somebody being in the, like the wrong person for a job. Ted Lasso is a fairly successful American football coach who gets hired to be a Premier League football coach. And for those who don't know, there's a difference in spelling in the two footballs I just said, because the Premier League is English professional soccer. So you've got this guy who doesn't even know what offsides, well, his, his concept of offsides is from football versus from soccer. He doesn't even know that you can tie. And this coach, and the whole time you're watching the series, you're asking the question, why did they hire Ted Lasso to be the coach? The whole first season about that. And then the second thing you're asking is, why did Ted Lasso go to be the coach? 
And so as we're reading the story of Jonah today, I want you to be asking yourself that question. Why did God send Jonah? And what is God sending me to do? So we're gonna dive into verse one, but just before I read it, I wanna remind you the context. Everybody in Nineveh is repenting and, and submitting to God. And this is how Jonah responds. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? It's quite an interesting response for the man of God to a bunch of people coming to know God to be angry at God. Kind of seems like it's flipped on its head. And the problem is, Jonah had not let what God's word is sink into his heart. And back to that question, why did God send Jonah? Well, because he wanted Jonah to see his heart. He wanted to send Jonah to receive his heart. Because you see, Jonah is actually quoting a pretty famous scripture here. You might be familiar with it. It's in Exodus 34, and God is speaking to Moses. Let me read it for you. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You may have met somebody who has a problem with the Bible, and that's a verse people will point to. It's really interesting because people tend to fixate on that last bit. But it's funny how Jonah knows that whole verse. He's sitting here saying, I want God to destroy that, but he knows who God is such that he knows that really the emphasis is on the first half of that. He, that he's worshiping a God who is slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And Jonah is like, I don't want that for my enemies. It's been in his head, but he hasn't let it settle into his heart. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you've had something in your head, but you haven't let it come out of your heart? I have. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, before a company will put a product on the market, right, they always test it. Uh, so my dad uh, worked for IBM, and he worked on the cash registers that they made, which uh, for you young people, cash registers are the thing that held physical cash. Um, back in the 90s, uh, all that long time ago. But, right, he worked on cash registers. And important things, right? They need to be secure. No one could open them who wasn't supposed to. And they needed to work every time. Because if you go to a transaction and the cash register doesn't open, you can't get what you want. Anyways, and on Bring Your Kid to Work Day, one of the cool rooms you get to go to is where they tested them. And so you'd walk in this room and all you'd hear was just this constant pounding. Because it had a robot that would open the drawer and then it'd have another thing that come punch it shut. Open the thing, punch it shut. It was being tested. Can you imagine if they didn't test it and it didn't work and then someone's got a bunch of money stuck in there? They can't get changed or something like that? They have to test it, right? And then this moment is where Jonah is testing his faith or God is testing Jonah's faith. Kind of Jonah kind of comes up wanting. But I asked that question, have you ever had that time? Maybe you can bring it to your mind. I had a time. I've had many times, but one time that I'll share with you. Um, 
is I grew up here in Raleigh. I went to a private Christian school. My parents loved Jesus, and, and all of that fostered an environment where I loved Jesus, where I knew right from wrong, and I truly pursued and had a heart to really always try and do the right thing and know the right stuff. And it was also a place where I got lots of knowledge and a lot was shared with me. And so the first moment that I got to really test my faith in a lot of ways was when I went to college. I went to NC State and I was in a philosophy class. And I was sitting there and it was, he was a really good professor because he would always push a little bit further. He would just push you beyond when like you knew like, well, I heard this one time, so I'm gonna say it like I'm smart and I believe it. Maybe that'll get him to stop asking me questions. But he'd always dig a little bit deeper than that because he wanted to know what you actually thought in your heart and what you actually thought. And in that class, I was actually pretty quiet that day, but in that class, he just started saying some things that undid some of those things in my head. And if you had talked to me before going to that class, you would have, and really dug into what I thought and believed, is you would have realized that I was quite prideful, that I thought I knew everything, and I thought, man, if I just could talk to somebody, if people thought like I did, if they were as smart as me, they'd understand that, like, the evidence for the resurrection, and they'd understand that Jesus is the only way in all of these things. And it was, I was just so confident in it. I was so confident in myself. But in that class, he started undoing that. And I had a couple paths that I could have taken. I could have just pretended like I didn't hear him and stuck with where I was. I could have walked away from my faith, but the Holy Spirit met me in that moment and led me to a different spot. The Holy Spirit revealed to me my own pride. Because you see, into that, up to that moment, so much of my faith had been built on the foundation of my own pride. Because I thought I was smart enough. I thought if people just would listen to me, it wasn't about Jesus. It was about me. And that moment, I don't know if you've had a moment like that, but that moment moves you to shift from this head knowledge to that heart. And so that's what God has been doing ever since then in my life. But it's hard. Because sometimes we don't know until we've been tested. And Jonah was tested. I just got back from a mission trip in Madagascar a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of the most impactful moments of the trip was when we went to this village. It was the most remote village we went to. No electricity, no running water. And we went to visit this church that was there. And this church was a second generation church, which that means the missionaries had helped plant a church, and the church that planted that church planted this church. Um, And it had been led by the elders of that village, but the elders of the village had walked away from the faith and they'd gone back to their tribal religion. And so that left everybody else who was in that church community asking the question, what should we do? Right, their faith was hitting the walls, being tested. And what's so interesting is in a culture that they're in, right, the, the resources, the money, the authority and the power. It's a very patriarchal society. It's all through those elders who walked away. But some students said, you know what? Jesus is worth it. And so we had a worship service led by an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 16-year-old with like 200 people there. Yeah. It was worth it. They hosted us. Those teens cooked for us and used their own stuff. Those teens before, not for us, but for them, had decided, you know what, we need a place to gather. We're going to build a church building. They built a church building. Because you see, what God's message had sunk to their hearts. We slept out in that village, and in the morning when we woke up, the missionaries had a little SD card for their phone. 
And they put it in their phone and it had the scriptures in their language. And they were huddled around listening to it. God's message needs to sink from our heads into our hearts. And sometimes it's just so challenging for us to do that. But it's okay because God meets us right there. And he does all sorts of things to try and wake us up to that. Let's keep reading in Jonah, starting in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of Eden, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the plant? And he said, yes, I do be well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand from their right hand and also much cattle? It's a funny line at the end there about the cattle, right? I mean, we don't often think about God saving grace for cattle. But what's crazy is you see this repentance in Jonah as a very physical thing throughout the whole book. Right, Jonah's up here with his head knowledge, but it's contrasted with the physical repentance of everybody else in Jonah. When he's on the boat and God saves the sailors from the storms after Jonah's thrown overboard, they do a sacrifice and offer it to God. And when Jonah preaches in Nineveh, it's not a very good sermon. He doesn't even mention the name of God, but they're like, we know we need this God. And they say, okay, we're going to, everybody, the king makes this rule. He says, everybody's got to fast. And not, when I say everybody, I don't just mean people, I mean the animals too. Right? They don't even have that right head knowledge that Jonah has, but they have the right physical acts of submission and humility, knowing we need God, versus Jonah trying to tell God what to do. Because Jonah doesn't get it. He doesn't get that he's living daily by God's mercy. If you notice in that last passage I read, it's really interesting. You, you, the very beginning, Jonah leaves the city, and he builds a little shelter, and he sits under it, and he's sitting there, and he's waiting for God to change his mind to destroy Nineveh. And while he's waiting, after he's built this shelter, then what does God do? Then God grows the plant and gives him even more shade, right? He's sitting under this shade, and then the next day, God kills the plant, and the shade goes away, and he's left with what? He's left with his own stuff, his own shelter. And is he content with that shelter? No, he's like, God, just take me out now. This is miserable. It's crazy. He doesn't even see that he can't even make a good enough shelter. He needs God's shelter for shade and rest. And yet, he's saying, I'm good enough to know that those people need to be destroyed. Jonah is missing God's mercy. Jonah was sent to receive God's mercy. And he just was missing it. And it's so easy for you and for me to miss it. There's a lot of parents in this room, and if you're not a parent, you're at least a child at one point. Um, and we all know this dynamic between parents and kids, where parents are like, 
no, don't do that. And kids are like, you take our freedom away, right? My kids are in the hold your hand uh, phase of life. I know some of you guys have kids in the cell phone phase of life and others in the car phase of life. And as the parent, you love them and you want to care for them. And they have no idea all the things that you do for them. And as a kid, all you do is don't appreciate it. That's all you have to do. Um, Right? And then as you become an adult, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my parents did that for me. Um, There's so many ways that you, you see that. And that is Jonah right here. He's sitting there and he's like, God, you don't understand. If you knew me, you would dest- if you knew what I was thinking, I'd be right. I'm just like Danny in college or I'm just like that kid who knows better than his parents. You need to destroy them. And God's like, Jonah, you can't even build a shelter without me. I love you. <laughs> but he keeps pursuing Jonah, right? Why did he send Jonah? Because his mission goes on because he was sent to receive God's mission. Because it's interesting because Jonah, he, right, God chose him and he goes and does all this and all of God's work happens in spite of Jonah. Uh, Both the work in the city of Nineveh, even God is trying to work in Jonah and Jonah's still fighting it. And it leaves you even with this tension because you're reading Jonah and it ends on a note where God's like, dude, you have pity on a plant, but you can't have pity on people? But God's mission is still going forward. And I know that there's people in this room who think, yep, just like Jonah, I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to be sent. And that's not true. It's not true. Jonah wasn't ready. God tried to get him ready on the way and Jonah refused to get ready. And God still worked. We believe that you're here, that you're at Southbridge, not just because it's a good place to get a job in Raleigh in the Triangle, because it's cheaper to live here than California. It's a great place to raise a family. We believe God has sent you here. And why did he send you here? Right? For his mission. Right? We believe that we live in a city that needs to be connected to people, where we need to connect people to Jesus for life change. And where spiritual transformation is going to lead to gospel saturation where you are sent to go be in your spheres. And it's different for everybody. We have opportunities for you to get plugged in and serve and volunteer in the community because we believe you're supposed to be doing that and that God has put you in that spot. And he's uniquely equipped you and he's gonna uniquely teach you about his heart and his mercy while you go do that. So you could go to one of the apartment outreaches. You might see the clicks or you might see the Floyds. There are families that here that own their impact and lead those ministries. Or maybe you know about some of our strategic partners. 15 years ago, Kim Charette came to Scott and John. She's like, I have a, an idea of a ministry that would use horses and mentorship and the gospel to meet and care for kids who have experienced trauma. And now, 15 years later, Hope Reigns is the largest ministry of that kind in America. And that's not to say that's for everybody, but I can tell you that day when Kim walked into the office, I've heard her tell the story. She had no idea what she was getting herself into in the same way that Jonah had no idea what he was getting himself into. What is God calling you to do? And it's in your day-to-day interactions. I have two quick stories um, of how our church is already doing this, but I wanna challenge you to keep doing this. Uh, Last week, while I was in Madagascar, my wife took my family to Chick-fil-A 
and she just, from a distance, observed an interaction where a customer was not treating an employee very kindly. That interaction happened. It was over with. She just went to check in on uh, the lady afterward, and she prayed for her and said, hey, if you're interested in church, would love to invite you to Southbridge. And the lady at Chick-fil-A looked at her and said, I know that church. And do you want to know why she knew that church? Because of positive, good interactions with people from our church before. That's pretty incredible. Another quick example is we have a neighbor. Um, not Christians, don't know Jesus, but last fall, it was pouring down rain. And she had her two kids. She was at a store and some random person, I don't even know who it was from Southbridge, walked her to her car with an umbrella. We have all been called to be on God's mission. It's the little things and it's the big things. We're at the end of this service. We're gonna commission our third mission trip of this year where we're taking a team uh, to Brazil. Me and nine others are going to Brazil. And here's the thing. We're not going to Brazil and we didn't go to Madagascar and the Panama team didn't go to Panama just to go drop gospel news because they need it and to come home. We're going because God is sending us there. He has something for them, but he also has something for us, right? To receive his mercy and his mission and his heart. And we're not just going to random places throughout the world. We're actually going to places where people who are sitting in the same seats you are, who called Southbridge home, who God had sent to the triangle, whether is it to get trained or whether it was to, they didn't know why God sent them here. And then God called them and said, hey, you know, Matias family, we're gonna send you to Brazil. Hey, Bakers, you're gonna go to Madagascar. Hey, Matt and Misty Headspeth, you're gonna go start a special needs orphanage in Panama. And that's what God had for them. And I guarantee you, you can talk to all of them. That is not what they thought life was gonna be like for them. But that's what God had for them. And so we're all sitting in this room and, and it's so easy to just default to be like, man, I'm not good enough or I don't know what to do or I, God's gotta, I gotta grow up and mature. That's not how it works. God is not, he's going to teach you as he sends you. And the good news is this, is um, in the book of Jonah, there's a bunch of words that are repeated. You've heard me say mercy, because the word mercy, Jonah had mercy on the plant. It's how God describes it at the end, but God had mercy on the Ninevites. The word great, there's a great storm, a great fish. Uh, God has great compassion, right? That's repeated. But one word that's repeated a lot, it's a really important word, is the word shuv, and it means to turn around. Uh, but in the Hebrew, they also use it to say repent, which makes sense, right? I'm walking this way. And I turn around because this was the wrong way. I'm going the right way now. I've repented. Um, and, and one of the poems in here, it talks about how so often you and me repent of our repentance. Can you relate to that? So often we are walking one way and you're like, this is what God has for me. And there's a temptation. There's a struggle. There's, you're just discouraged. And you're like, I'm done. I'm going back this way. And the good news is in the book of Jonah, you see that God pursues and pursues and pursues him. The whole book, Jonah, God calls him to go, and guess what? He turns around, he goes the wrong way. But then when he's in the belly of the fish, he turns around, he repents, and he goes the right way. And then he goes and he preaches, and he turns around, and he goes out of the city. And Jonah's not the only one who repents of his repentance. It's complicated. The Assyrians turn around in this show, or in this uh, moment. We see it. They turn around, they repent. But guess what? 50 years later, 
They invade and they destroy Israel and they take it over. How would you like to be the prophet who went home to say, hey, by the way, the bad guys are fine. I saved them from God's wrath. I wouldn't. But God has a plan. Because the whole book is trying to get us to stop fixating on whoever we other, the enemy, the other person, and start fixating on who is God and what is he doing in my life and what is he doing around me in spite of me. It's really interesting at the Jesus compares himself to Jonah, which is a funny comparison because I don't know that I would really want to compare myself to Jonah, at least not in a positive way. Uh, He's talking to some scribes and Pharisees, and this is what he says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Huh, Jesus like Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And that's the whole point of the story of Jonah. Something greater than Jonah is here. And that is Jesus. Jonah was the prophet who was sent to his enemies and he ran the other way. Jesus was the savior who became a human to live among his enemies, you and me. Jonah repeatedly asked, God, take me out, I'm angry. I don't want you to have judgment on them. Whereas Jesus said, take me out so that they may have mercy. Jesus, or uh, Jonah, repeatedly said, received God's mercy and asked for judgment on others. Jesus said, God, give me your judgment so that others might receive your mercy. So today, as we're wrapping this up, I want you to reflect on this question. What has God sent you to do? How is he trying to show you his heart? How is he showing you mercy? Because here's the question. It's like the book of Jonah leaves us with this tension. Does Jonah ever get it? And obviously it's written down, so somebody got it and thought that you would benefit from reading it and that we would benefit from talking about it today and praying about it. But has God's message sunk from your head to your heart? Do you see the daily mercy that he gives you, that you can't even create your own shade? He needs to give it to you. And do you see the bigger picture of the mission he has sent you on that's put you in a seat right here today? Uh, I want to end with uh, another poem here. I think it's a really fitting way for us to reflect as we end. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so merciful to us in so many ways that we don't see, but God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see your mercy for us today and in our lives. And Lord, I pray that the things that we know in our heads, that you would push it down into our hearts, that it comes out through our hands. And God, I ask, 
that you would open our eyes to see what you are doing in this city, in the triangle, and that you would empower us to be a part of it and not fight it along the way like Jonah, but to be a part of it, that you might work through us. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.